0: Well, good morning, guys. Great to see you. Hope you slept fast. I woke up in the middle of the night, you know, one of those moments where you think, it's got to be close to whenever it's time to get up. And you need to look and it's like 1 a.m. then you think, That's a long time before I get up. I better go back to sleep. And then whenever you do that, you don't sleep at all. But I am fired up about grace and granted. How about you? Amen. What a blessing to have a biblical church. What a blessing to have a Bible and to have men who have walked before us you know, we just completed our constitution process Sunday night, and um, which always makes me think about those who have gone on before us. As I mentioned to you before this is one of the original pulpits in the church, and um, I just uh, just think it's so important, um, you know, to have roots and to remember, you know, those types of things, and so um, our. Uh, confession of faith and um, really our church covenant that we recite every time we bring in new members. goes all the way back to 1943 when the church was, uh, was planted. It's the original covenant that uh, the folks made whenever they gathered um, together. And uh, right down the hall here on the, the right-hand side of the wall is a little picture that we put together in. Uh, at the 70th anniversary of the, of the church, which if you want to see where it all began, there's actually uh, a, a tent, picture of the tent that started with a tent revival. So long before COVID, when people were meeting in parking lots under tents, uh, there were these things called uh, tent revivals. And um, right across the street where Walgreens sits right now, that was all a field, you know, there wasn't anything around here, and a Presbyterian church, a Methodist church. This was long before they even became the United Methodist. The Methodist church and a Southern Baptist church came together and had a tent revival, and they planted an independent Baptist church. And said, "I always like to joke. You know, they got it right. They, they, uh, they all came together, and uh, uh, Timberlake Gospel Tabernacle." Was was formed originally out of that out of those revival meetings, and then it very quickly became Timberlake Baptist Church. Um, and it actually started the original church building. There's another picture of the original building that they built. If you can, you'll you'll be able to to, to probably picture where it's at. It's the Expositor Seminary room. Um, so you, you know when you you drive down Timberlake Road and the church is on your right hand side. There's two doors that we don't ever use unless we have a funeral in here. Those are the original doors, you know, to the church. And if you look at the picture it's you know, there's nothing but trees around. I mean there's no blacktop. There's no anything. So it started all the way down there and has, you know, built along and now you're in probably, I don't know, the third phase in this building. And then this wing was added and then of course now we have the the ministry center uh, over there and um the video that we did i think at our 70th anniversary you know circled it all back around and so now in that original church building where the congregation first started the church first started we're we're training uh new pastors and church planters to go out and do the same thing and um and even that is in a long line of faithful gospel uh, churches and biblical, uh, biblical preachers that um, you can go back to uh, the first and second great awakening and before that the reformation and before that the remnant during the, the middle ages to the Donatists to all the way back to the apostles and, um, and so we're going to be talking about uh, the spiritual gifts but all of those spiritual gifts are in the context of building, uh, Christ building his church. That's what he promised to do in Matthew 16. Uh, we have the mandate as, as shepherds, as leaders, as elders, according to 1 Corinthians 3, to be careful the materials that we use. So Christ is building his church, and then God has given to men the tools. That he'll use to build his church, and we have to be very careful in the tools that we, we, we use, the materials that we use. Um, so the passage you probably remember, you think of like the bema seat judgment, where there's wood, hay, and you know, and straw or stubble, gold, silver, and precious stones being tried by the fire. That in the context there, that whole passage starts with you know, you know, uh, Paul talking about uh, you know. I planted and Apollos watered and God gives the, God gives the increase or vice versa. Now, the whole point there is you have two workmen. God's the one that's giving the increase to their labor, but then the warning comes to be careful how you build. You know? There's only one gospel, uh, and don't mess that up. You know, because whatever you build using something other than the Bible, other than the gospel, is going to be wood, hay, or stubble. So it's going to look you know, like a great building until Christ returns and tests it all by fire and then it all burns down. The only thing that will remain is is what is true, what is transcendent, what is built on truth and on Christ and on the gospel. And um, many of you have lived long enough to see ebbs and flows in, you know, in churches. And when I came through, it was all seeker-sensitive and those kind of that's you know all gone now now you have the you know woke church and it's just they're all just machinations of of human inventions to try to you know try to uh grow grow churches um that aren't really churches at all um my always remember you know it takes a long time to uh you know to to grow oak trees it's um you can grow things really quickly. Mushrooms grow really quickly uh, overnight. You've probably looked out in your yard and you're not seeing any, and all of a sudden you see a mushroom the next morning. It grows really, really fast. And so, just always remember that that you can grow a church like that, but also remember that mushrooms typically grow in manure, and um, you don't want to grow those types of churches. Uh, and Sling that type of stuff in order to uh, in order to cause it to grow. Um, so open your Bibles to Psalm 17. That all of that little diatribe will make sense when we watch the video and get into what we're we're talking about this morning. We'll start with Psalm 17 because it is November 17th. Here is a prayer of David. Always remember in the Psalms, the superscription that's above it, it's inspired too. Um, Your italics uh, and the title, the the title in italics is not inspired. That comes from your study Bible. But a prayer of David was in the original manuscript. And so we know who wrote it and the purpose behind it. Hear a just cause, O Lord, give heed to my cry give ear to my prayer which is not from deceitful lips let my judgment come forth from your presence let your eyes look with equity you have tried my heart you have visited me by night you have tested me and you find nothing david begins here with crying out to to the lord and he says what i am praying is 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 truthful it it's it's honest. It's it comes from the heart, and you know, Lord. I mean, and He goes through all of these different ways that that God can see. He says, "I have purpose with my mouth. Uh, my mouth will not transgress. As for the deeds of men, by the word of your lips I have kept from the paths of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped." I've called upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my speech. Wondrously show your loving kindness, calling God to do what he's promised to do. O Savior of those who take refuge at your right hand from those who rise up against them, keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked Who despoil me, my deadly enemies who surround me. They have closed their unfeeling heart with their mouth. They speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They set their eyes to cast us down to the ground. He is like a lion that is eager to tear, and a young lion lurking in hiding places. Arise, O Lord, confront him, bring him low. Deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword, from men with your hand, O oh Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life and whose belly you, will, you fill with your treasure. They are satisfied with children and leave their abundance to their babes. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. Let's pray. Oh Father, may we be like David, may we pray with truthful lips and and honest hearts. You see all things, you you know all things. You try us. Meaning you you test us, you you reveal to us. Trials are not to figure out what, what so you'll figure out what we will do. It's to reveal to us what what we will do. Sometimes to humble us. Sometimes to encourage us. Whenever we we resist a a temptation and come through a, a trial. And just like David, Lord, we live in a world that that's contrary, um, deceitful men, men that are just like we were before we came to Christ, and and. Um, and yet, it's swirling about, and sometimes it's it's uh, defiling, and sometimes it's confusing, and and so we we pray that you would keep your your bride, your church, us um, as the apple of your eye. Hide us under the shadow of your wing. You are our protection. You are our rock of safety, our fortress, and we we look to you. Um, and Lord, we thank you for for being, exact, being exactly who you said that you would be in, in, uh, in loving kindness. You have committed yourself to us in covenant in your faithful love that's based totally on your choice, not us, not our sin. Our sins have been, have been all washed away, have been cared for in the cross by Christ himself, and we are yours, and nothing can remove us from that, that blessed position. So whether as we go about our day, help us um, to look to you, the purpose in our hearts, to serve you, um, and do that without wavering. Bless us now, even as we learn uh, about, uh, about your word, about your church, and ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to start with a video like we normally do, and then we're going to be continuing on page 145. We're looking at sign gifts this morning. Uh, And we'll reset all of that up and and talk about it. I think it will be edifying. Uh, But before, we're going to watch a little video. Uh, This, I have no idea where it's at. Something Baptist Church. Uh, Paul Washer has got a &A, Q&A. And uh, it's it's really just a cut from the Q&A. So there's no polish to it. Um, It kind of trails off as we... You know, as we move along, I think he even asked a second question that Paul doesn't answer. But I really want that the question has to do with the charismatic movement, uh, which is one of the, the areas that will be applicable to signed gifts. But I really want you to pay attention to how Paul answers this question, especially in the beginning, because I think it's very, very helpful.
1: All right. Uh, kind of on to- a totally different uh train of thought here any advice about the charismatic movements, such as Bethel Church uh, Jesus culture are they to be considered brothers and sisters in Christ I'm sure that there are some people within those movements that are genuine Christians and just really confused and if they are God will bring them out I do not affirm in any way any of those groups Just remember this God has there's so many things that we could talk about with regard to this and we don't have time but God has a plan for Christianity and it's a plan that works itself out through biblical local churches not through big movements and things like that but biblical local churches and when I mean biblical the Bible is being taught in its historical grammatical context membership is guarded church discipline is practiced there are so many things that these movements don't have but above all it's just some really bad doctrine really bad doctrine you're going to see more and more you're going to see um, not so much universalism but inclusivism that's going to sweep evangelicalism it already is which states that it doesn't matter if you have faith in Christ, just faith in something, and you're saved. You're going to see that grow. It's growing tremendously in evangelicalism. You're going to see the acceptance of homosexuality overwhelmingly accepted by the majority of evangelicals. You're going to see all sorts of things happen in what's called the evangelical community, and that's why I say the word means nothing the word means absolutely nothing anymore. And so, no, I, I can't affirm those movements. Um, for, I guess, additional resources, if you're interested in more of that, the, um, John MacArthur did the Strange Fire Conference uh, last mm-hmm. year the year before. I think all the resources are up there. Also, the Ministry of Justin... Justin Peters, Peters yes. Uh, he was actually out in Australia last year doing a conference. Um, but if you're interested in kind of more about the... We just we had all his them. CDs Translated into Spanish with subtitles. If you could get Justin Peters CDs and go over them. Uh, I mean, I, I teach, you know, I, it's my life to teach theology and, and do things. And when I went through th- those CDs, I, I could not believe it. I, I didn't even have an idea of how horrible these faith teachers and prosperity teachers and the things that they do and the things that they teach is just... It's beyond horrible. And uh, he has it right there in his CDs, He has actual video footage of them and their teaching, and then he takes the Bible and explains where it's wrong. And uh, very dangerous. Yep. All right, this is kind of a bit more of a practical uh, question and obviously asking for some advice. So can you offer some advice? The churches in our area are all antinomian. We've attended our current church for 20 years and have therefore built relationships. Do we stay and try?
0: There's how it kind of trails off. So Paul kind of dates himself there. Did you hear that he's talking about picking up CDs and talking about the video and the CDs? It's like Joe Biden did the listen to the record player at night or whatever it was during the you know during the the campaign. I too would affirm. Uh, um, I think it's called uh, "Clouds Without Rain." Justin Peters, "Clouds Without Rain." Excellent. Um, Justin has uh, cerebral palsy and has just uh, bought into the faith, faith healing movement to begin with uh, and was obviously sorely disappointed because it, it's it, it's an empty uh, promise um, and then has spent his life exposing the movement, teaching the Bible you know and, and otherwise. but really what I wanted you to hear from Paul Washer is, uh, you know, Paul, in his, in his uh, washer kind of way, you know, he head down, he looks up, he answers the question, no, I cannot affirm any of those movements, you know, and then it's, he just kind of pauses. The second wave is really what I wanted you to focus on, which he says, you're going to see all kinds of things, which is kind of where I started before I went to pray. Um, God has a plan for Christianity. And that plan is not in movements or men or flash and bang or big or anything else. God's plan is to advance Christianity through biblical local churches, which is why um, you know we emphasize every single new member class and why we emphasize in ministry the centrality of the local church. It's why we emphasize that in missions, because even in missions, we're not sending um, people. We're not sending missionaries to the world. We're sending truth through missionaries. We, we send the gospel to the nations. We do that through people. And so in the people that we send, then they need to know the gospel, and they need to have a good ecclesiology, a right view of the church, because if not, then they're just going to perpetuate that wherever they go, you know, on the field. And I always like to say... If I preach heresy from the pulpit at Timberlake Baptist Church, I have all of you in here, and then some are going to call me on it on Sunday because we are blessed to be in a biblical flow. I mean, we, we, we have Bibles all over us, and we, we know what is orthodoxy. And we may struggle sometimes in America to understand orthopraxy, you know, the practice, uh, but we know you'll call me on that, and, and rightfully so. You go in the middle of the jungles of Nepal, they don't know whether it's heresy or not. You know, so how much more important if we elevate and make sure that the preachers in pulpits in America you know, are properly trained, how much more important would it then be to, to make sure that missionaries that we send, where there is no gospel, and they're going to be stamping a specific area. You know, so it is that important and what should they be what should they be thinking about they should be thinking a lot of things but clearly what what Paul was saying here Paul Washer what is God's plan God's plan is to build his church that's Christ building it and he's going to build it uh, uh, through uh, the gospel calling people together into biblical local churches and them replicating, planting gospel fountains all over. And that's exactly what you see in the, in the book of Acts. So what does that have to do with spiritual gifts? Well, how is God building local churches? He's saving people, but then he's calling them uh, into local assemblies, and he's giving specific gifts. And so we talked about biblical categories for, uh, for gifts, and we said that there were two general types. What were the two general categories according to 1 Peter 4? What are the two general categories of, of spiritual gifts? Speaking gifts and serving gifts. That's exactly right. So the two big categories. And then you go down. And those are the two big categories in general for, for the church as, as a whole. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. And then you go to the timeline of how God is building his church, and you have two different eras which gifts were given. You have the apostolic era when there are apostles and prophets laying the foundation of the church. So you have signed gifts or authenticating gifts, and then you also have the gifts that remain. So we looked at Ephesians 2.20. So you could go back to Matthew 16. Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church. That was the confession of Peter that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Ephesians 2.20 says Jesus Christ is the, the cornerstone. He's the foundation stone. And then the apostles and prophets build the foundation of the church using the gospel as the, as the cornerstone. So the foundation is, is laid, according to Ephesians 2.20, by the apostles and the prophets. And then you go over to Ephesians 4, and you see that Christ gave additional gifts to his church. He gave some apostles and some prophets, and evangelists and pastors and teachers. So the evangelist, the missionary evangelist and the pastors and teachers or pastor teachers are building on the foundation. And the gifts, the spiritual gifts, big categories, speaking gifts, serving gifts, those, that, those two general categories you know, go over both periods of laying the foundation of the church and then building on the foundation of the church. So you have speaking gifts and you have serving gifts both in the early church and you have them today, but there were gifts limited to the apostles and prophets, and then you have the gifts that, that we remain. So we talked about the gifts that remained, according to uh, 1 Corinthians 12 last time, and this morning we're going to uh, look at um, the sign or revelatory gifts that did not continue with the, the apostolic era. Now I think if you really want to simplify this, I know I can remember uh, being exposed to people, that were non-cessationists. I can remember in particular going out um, when I was a VP for Anthem. During lunch hour, I would go out and, and try to witness and, and I normally went to the the, uh, the KRT bus station, the Kanawha Rapid Transit, which was all the buses came into Charleston, West Virginia and it was within walking distance from, uh, from United Center and Uh, So I'd come down and I'd go over there and I'd look for people to you know maybe strike up a conversation with or or witness to. And I can remember seeing a couple over there and they were passing out tracts and they could tell that they watched me witness to some guy and his husband and wife. They came up to me and said, "Hey, or you know, who are you? What are you doing?" You know, found out that I was a believer and and uh, I don't know who these people are and I was. I don't know, within the first five years of, of, of salvation, and I just thought this was great, you know, they're witnessing too, isn't this wonderful, and they said, we're just so encouraged to see you, can we pray for you? Well, of course, yeah, You know, pray for me, that's great. So, um, they said, alright, let's pray right now, so we bowed our heads, and the, the man's here, and the woman's here, and so we're kind of in this little triangle, and he prays, you know, just great prayer, you know, uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for this brother who's out here witnessing, and and uh, just pray you'll bless him, give him fruit, and, you know, yes, amen, thank you, Lord, and he he says, amen, and I said, amen, you know, and uh, then uh, she started to pray, and I was like, oh, came up for air a little too fast, so I bowed my head down, and so she starts praying, and she says, you know, Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for this brother, and then she just starts cackling like a rooster, I mean, she starts speaking in tongues, and just, just salami, baloney, salami, baloney, and just on and on and on. And I'm thinking, what in the world is this? I've never heard this before. What is this woman doing? I mean, and all I could think to do, you know, I'm in this rural Baptist church and very mystical. And I can just remember with my head bowed, thinking, i got to get away from here. And then I'm thinking, okay, what do I do? This seems demonic. So I just say, I plead the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus. I just said it over and over and over until she stopped cackling, and then I left. I'm, I'm like, I'm out of here. It was so strange. It's the first experience that I that I had. I remember going back and talking to my pastor about it, and he was like, Yeah, you know, there are people that believe in that, and and then I can remember being in seminary with. Not bizarre types of people, but people that believed that the gifts continue on today. And they weren't doing things like that. They said, well, you know, maybe on the mission field, God could still give the gifts of tongues. Or maybe God could heal in order to save people. Or maybe, you know, one of the the movements more recently... uh, God is giving visions to, you know, to Muslims, and through those visions they're seeing Jesus and they're getting saved. And, and so you know, what do you do with, with all of that? If you really want to make sense out of it, the only source that we have is the New Testament, is the Bible, Old and New Testament Bible. So you don't argue with someone's experience. Okay? Somebody can say that they experienced anything. You have no idea what they experienced. But just because they experienced it doesn't mean that it's right or biblical. So it's, it, it's on, according to 1 Corinthians 14, the, the responsibility is on them to prove their experience is biblical, not for you to prove it's unbiblical. Okay? If someone says that they performed a miracle, it's on them to prove that it was a biblical miracle, not on you. You know, in order to say, well, I mean, you know, they experienced it, so, so who am I? The only source, this is goes back to the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. Scripture is all you have. So throw their experience out and say, what does the Bible say is normative? And and whenever you do that, this is where it gets really helpful. You simplifies it. You, you stand back and you look at the timeline of, of Scripture. Okay? So the... The New Testament was written over a period of time. And you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tells the story of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, right? It goes from John the Baptist through the, 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 the birth of Christ, him stepping forth in baptism to, to inaugurate his ministry. God the Father confirms that from heaven at baptism, and then Jesus starts his ministry. He dies. He's buried. In the process, he calls disciples, 12 of them. He dies, he's buried, he raises from the dead. I mean, that's the Gospels, telling the story of Christ. Then you have the book of Acts that picks up the story after Christ. And the book of Acts starts with the same, now 11, because Judas is gone. They bring about the 12th after the ascension. But the book of Acts starts with Jesus giving them their marching orders. And Jesus ascends into heaven. Men of Galilee, why stand you gazing? This same Jesus is coming again. It's not the time for the kingdom. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And then the book of Acts tells the story of how the foundation of the churches is laid up to a certain point. So you have all of the book of Acts and the book of Acts starts with Peter and John, Jewish uh, apostles in Jerusalem, and then it moves to um, you know, Samaria, or Judea, Samaria, and then, then it transitions to the apostle Paul, who's the the apostle out of his time, the 13th apostle. He's the one who is the apostle to the Gentiles. So now you're in the outermost parts of the earth, and you have the first, second, and third missionary journey of Paul. Paul's going all over the place preaching the gospel. The book of Acts ends, and it doesn't end, right? So when the book of Acts ends, where is the apostle Paul? He's still out preaching the gospel but you don't have the end of Paul's life. So how does the book of Acts end? The book of Acts doesn't end with Paul in prison the second time. The book of Acts says nothing about the fall of Jerusalem that happened in 70 AD. It says nothing about the the great persecution of the church under Nero in 64, which Peter writes about later. And you have the first, second, third missionary journey, and during that, Paul is writing to these, these churches that he's planting. So now you have the epistles. You've got the Gospels. You've got the book of Acts. The book of Acts, is the church is still being built. And then you have the epistles, these letters that Paul is, is writing. And when you put the, all of that together in a timeline, it's very, very plain that in the beginning, there are gifts that are operating, that are authenticating the apostles and the prophets when that foundation is laid. And the farther you go in the book of Acts you see those gifts trailing off. You see less and less and less. And then when you get into the epistles, you don't see any commands to cast out demons. You don't see any commands or directions to, to exercise you know, specific spiritual gifts. You don't see any. Uh, you don't see Paul performing any miracles. You don't see him healing anybody, nothing. And so by ultimate, by the time you get to the book of Revelation which is John, early 90s. We're not talking about any of that. Okay, The book that everybody goes to for sign gifts to authenticate them today, oh, you speak in tongues today, you do all these miracle days, is 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians does speak of those gifts, but it is one of the earliest epistles written. And it's written when there are sign gifts still operating. 1 Corinthians 12 through, through 14. When you get to the book of Ephesians and some of the later epistles, Philippians, the one, like were the one that we're going through, you're in 60 to 62 A.D., and you don't see any of those things operating. When you get to the book of Romans, none of the sign gifts are mentioned. In the book of Romans, all of the sign gifts are mentioned in First Corinthians, and they're mentioned in First Corinthians in the context of Paul correcting Corinth for misusing the sign gifts. Right? And that's the whole point. You're they're seeking the elevated gifts, the ones that are up front, and so in 1 Corinthians twelve, he's saying you're one body, but you're many members. So don't seek the you know the the, the prominent gifts. 1 Corinthians 13 make sure whatever gift you're doing seek love operating in in love and then 1 Corinthians 14 he's rebuking them for being chaotic you know god's not the author of confusion do this in order you know you're doing all these things and it's it's not proper okay so this is all corrective The problem is whenever you you don't see it in the timeline and then you use those experiences or take something out of context and then you build a movement or a doctrine around it, which is what has happened in Pentecostalism or uh, charismaticism. The last recorded miracle in the New Testament happened around 58 to 60 A.D. It's in Acts 28, 7 through 10. I'll have you turn there in a minute to look at it. Thinking through the timeline, even bigger picture than the New Testament, you have the Old Testament. Then you have silence for a period of time of hundreds of years, no prophet coming. Then you have John the Baptist coming on the scene. He's the prophet in the spirit of Elijah that's announcing the promised one is coming. Christ. And then John says, I must decrease so he can increase. So John the Baptist goes off the scene. Christ comes on the scene, inaugurated at his, at his baptism. And then Christ reveals, I am who I said I am. And he does that through all of the things that you see him do, casting out demons, healing people, so on and so forth. He calls 12 disciples and then he hands it off to them. And they're the ones building the foundation of the church, and then the last apostle goes off the scene, and now it's being handed over to us, and it's continuing, and the gifts are, you know, fit right in there with it. So uh, look at um, Acts twenty-eight seven through ten. So let me open up there and read it to me. This is the last recorded miracle in the New Testament. So there you have the last recorded miracle in the, in the New Testament. And so from there, that's around 58 to 60 um, you know, A.D., as I mentioned in the timeline of the book of Acts. Luke wrote the book of Acts. So you have nothing in the book of Acts. The book of Acts ends, and the apostle Paul is still out there. There's nothing about his second imprisonment. And Luke's with Paul. Luke's all about Paul. Luke's telling about Paul's missionary journeys. I mean, there are the we passages in the book of Acts. Get too technical. But there are passages in the book of Acts, I think it starts around Acts 16, where Luke is saying we, we did this and we went there and we did that on Paul's missionary journeys. Luke was with Paul. I mean, he's an eyewitness. And remember, Luke is writing the book of Acts to Theophilus. Luke and Acts, part one, part two, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And Luke was, was with Paul whenever all of this is happening. And so Luke writes nothing about Paul's second imprisonment. Luke writes nothing about Paul's, uh, Paul's death. Uh, Luke writes nothing about uh, you know, the, the head of the Jerusalem church being beheaded uh, and, and removed. Luke writes nothing about the great persecution. Luke writes nothing about uh, you know, 68 to 70 A.D., which is the fall of Jerusalem. All of those things would have been written if that had already happened. That hasn't happened yet. You know, and you can also date the book of Acts through looking at the, the epistles. So you remember what happens whenever Paul is finally imprisoned in the early 60s. 61, 62, he writes the prison epistles. right? So look at Philippians. You should be very familiar with this. Philippians chapter um, two twenty-five. Now remember, we just read where Paul was in Malta and he healed this leader and others there. And now here is Paul in Philippi, imprisoned. And he says, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed, because you all heard that he was sick. How sick was he? For indeed he was sick to the point of death, But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sinned him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again you might rejoice. God is the one that had mercy on him. Um, There is an example, just a few years later, where Epaphroditus is sick to the point that Paul is so worried he thinks he's going to die. And Paul does not heal Epaphroditus here. The idea there of God granting mercy is that that God raised him up in the sense that the sickness didn't kill him. Then you can also go over in 2 Timothy where Paul says, Trophimus, I left in Miletus sick. And so you have the apostle Paul in one sense giving God using him with a miraculous gift and in another place not healing him. Um, healing at all. And you will not find another recorded miracle uh, from you know, 60 AD to 96, whenever John records uh, the book of, of Revelation. I said the miracle gifts like tongues and healing are only mentioned in 1 Corinthians, an earlier epistle. And the two later epistles, uh, Ephesians and Romans, that both discuss the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, make no mention of the miraculous gifts. Um, and by that time, the, the miracles that were, uh, we're looking upon were, were already something that was, you know, that was past uh, because apostolic authority and apostolic message needed no further confirmation. Um, before the first century ended, the entire New Testament, that would be 100 A.D., the entire New Testament had been written and was circulating through the churches, and the revelatory gifts had to cease had ceased to serve any purpose. There's no more purpose for authenticating apostles and, and and prophets, and so the apostolic age ends with the death of the apostle John. The signs that identified the apostles had already become already become moot, and so when you look at the New Testament, it's very clear those things are are uh, are fuf- going off the scene and and fulfilling their purpose. Well, what what was the purpose? of the of those gifts it was to authenticate Christ whenever he came the Old Testament said that when the Messiah comes he's going to heal the blind the lame are going to leap the dumb are going to speak he's going to free captives and so it was evidence that Jesus was the Messiah not only by his teaching but his miracles um, and it was the same for the apostles and the prophets Um. We talked about on Sunday in 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 Philippians, where you had uh, the Apostle Paul being an example to the church. Remember this? And I quoted MacArthur, who said, "If you were in Philippi and you came to Christ, you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, and you've now embraced Jesus as the Messiah, where would you go to know how to live as a Christian? We say we well, go to the Scriptures." Well, all they have is the Old Testament. The New Testament's not complete. The foundation of the church is being laid. It's the New Covenant church. And revelation is happening through the apostles and prophets. The apostles are writing Scripture. They're, they're being inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they're pinning Scripture. But that's not complete. So you're in Philippi. You don't have a Bible. You don't have a New Testament. You have an Old Testament. Let's say you're a Gentile. Yeah, you could go learn some things from the Old Testament, what God promised, but where did you go to learn how to be, how to be a Christian? Well, you, you continued in the Apostles' Doctrine. You observed the Apostles. So the Apostles are foundational people that transition from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, to the New Testament, and, and you're reading about how that's happening in the book of Acts and the instructions of the apostles' doctrine, all under the inspiration of the Spirit, through the, you know, through the epistles. So they're observing the apostle Paul. So the apostles needed authenticated. This were the sign gifts. We are the ones sent by Christ. We are the ones. I mean, think about it. You're in Philippi. Some guy comes, and he starts preaching this, and you're going to follow him. How do you know who he is? How do you know what, whether he's from God or not? And so God is authenticating them through the sign gifts, the revelatory gifts that, that were there. And then those go off the scene when the New Testament is complete because now you have a new covenant scripture to be able to, to go to. And so that's what the people that are building on the Apostles and Prophets Foundation are using. Um, if you're going to call a pastor to a church uh, or you're going to set apart an elder... We don't say, okay, give us the list of how many people that you've healed, um, how many people you've raised from the dead, and I want affidavits from them so I can call them to see if you you actually did that. Tell me a prophecy that you have given that's come true, completely accurate. We don't do that. We go to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus because we now have Scripture that tells us exactly the qualifications of somebody who is supposed to be an elder. We don't need that. How do we authenticate and verify gospel preachers and 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 workers of, of the gospel today? We see if their life lines up with the New Testament and the characteristics that are that are in the New Testament. We don't have any of that during the foundation gifts. So these are transitional people that God is empowering in special ways to authenticate what, what they're, um, they're doing. So, What were some of the sign and revelatory gifts which did not continue after the apostolic era? Well, here's the list that the Bible gives. Number one, wisdom through the Spirit. Literally, utterance. Um, The word logos. This is 1 Corinthians 12. I'm on page 145 of your Grace and Granite book. Number two, in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, Paul identifies more of the sign and revelatory gifts which did not continue after the apostolic era. They didn't need to. Scripture is there and the apostles are going off the scene. Wisdom through the Spirit. Here's a sign gift or a revelatory gift that did not continue. Literally utterance, ESV says, or it's the word logos, in the beginning was the word, in the beginning was the logos, it's, the, it's, it's, uh, it's utterances of wisdom. It was a speaking gift to skillfully apply God's message. It was a revelatory gift that was necessary in the early church before scripture was, uh, was, was given. Um, so wisdom is different from knowledge. Wisdom is to be able to skillfully apply Scripture. Um, You obviously have to know Scripture in order to skillfully apply it, but somebody who's wise doesn't just know Bible verses. They know how to put those into practice in real life. So here was someone who could speak wisdom, uh, supernaturally gifted by the Holy Spirit in the early church, um, that could skillfully apply God's, God's message, maybe skillfully apply something in the Old Testament. And here's another one that goes right along with it in verse 8. Knowledge, according to the Spirit, or a word of knowledge, utterance of knowledge. So an utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge, both speaking gifts. And this had to do with insight into God's Word and, and communicating it. So again, you have another speaking gift used in the church. It was supernatural. It was a revelatory gift or a sign gift to authenticate and to edify the church during the foundational period, the period of the apostles and the and the prophets, different from wisdom in the sense of speaking insight into to God's word and being able to to communicate it, um, and so this would be knowing something, not just being able to skillfully you know apply it. And the third one, another supernatural revelatory gift, faith by the Spirit verse 9. Now, you know, the Bible tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. Everyone is to have faith, but this is not normal Christian faith. This is this is an extraordinary faith that brought supernatural signs. Remember Jesus saying to the, the disciples, you know, this kind doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting, talking about demons. Or if you have Faith to you know, as the grain of a mustard seed, you can move. You know, you can move mountains. Ask whatever you you know you will, and God will. God will answer. Here is here is the idea of faith by the Spirit. This is a supernatural sign that would that would come from extraordinary faith. Um, could be faith. That remember, gifts aren't always separated, so it could be faith that was necessary to believe for the gift of healing that would that would come, which is next on the on the list. So extraordinary faith that would bring about supernatural signs. And again, this is something that is brought by the Holy Spirit. This is not something that you have. This is one of the, the horrible things that the faith healers do. They put it on somebody like Justin Peters. Your, your lack of faith is the reason that you're not healed from cancer. If you would believe God enough, then God would answer your prayer, like, like he's you know, a genie or an ATM machine. And so people go there, sincere people go there, taking those verses out of context and have a wolf sit there and tell them, that if you would believe enough, then God would answer your prayer. Well, they really, 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 really believe. And God doesn't answer their prayer. So guess who the problem is? You, your lack of faith. Um, and so they leave devastated. They believe, they leave there believing that God over-promises and under-delivers. Or that there's something wrong with, with them. Um, while that wicked wolf walks away with a pocket full of money. It's absolutely blood boiling. Um, And it should be something that you stand completely against. If you know anybody that's caught up in that type of stuff, pray for them. Um, But then don't mince words. You don't have to be ugly, but just say, these people are not of God. And have no concern saying Joel Osteen is not of the Lord. He does not preach the gospel It is a false gospel, and it's absolutely empty and and nothing. And there are real people out there that are suffering and hurting. That's why they prey on the poor. They prey on people that don't have good Bible teaching. So the gift of healing. Did God give? Does God heal today? Yes or no? Yes. This is the gift of healing. It has nothing to do with whether God heals today. God can heal somebody today, and you're commanded, we're commanded in James to pray for that healing. But that's up to the Lord whether he does it. That's not the gift of healing. The gift of healing is a supernatural, revelatory gift, like you read in the book of Acts, the last recorded miracle, where God, for his own purposes, gives Paul a specific gift through his laying on of hands or something, Some. Uh, you know, the, the famous hanky that Paul passed around. Wouldn't it be nice to have a COVID hanky? Where are all these faith healers right now? Why don't they, you know, sell COVID hankies? Just eradicate this stuff so we can go back to normal. So, that's, yeah. Well, you know, remember, and get me off on a tangent, but that was one of the, somebody confronted Earl Roberts years ago. You know, why don't you go across the street into the hospital and, and empty it? If you have the ability to do that, why would you let? Why would you leave people suffering like that? And of course, his answer is, "Well, they have to have faith." Back to the, it's, it's on them, not on me. Well, the the gift of healing was a temporary gift to confirm begins that a temporary gift that confirmed that Jesus had come, and then it was a gift that confirmed that the apostles were who they they said um, they were. It was used to authenticate uh, Jesus and the message. Somebody turn to Matthew eight sixteen.
1: That's
0: exactly right. Isn't that neat. It's a temporary gift to confirm that Jesus had come. You know, math, uh, uh, Isaiah fifty three four. Promises that when the Messiah comes, he's going to heal. He's going to raise up. So, somebody read Matthew eight sixteen. That evening, they brought to
1: him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a
0: word and healed all who were sick. Okay, read the next verse. So if you're a Pentecostal or a charismatic, you read the first verse and you don't read the second one. The second verse tells you exactly why Jesus did what He did. It was to, it was to prove, it was to authenticate that He was the, the, the Messiah. Um, and so that was the first gift of, uh, first purpose for the gift of healing, temporary to confirm that Jesus had, had come. Healings were not common in the Old Testament, um, and they're not common today. They were very common during the time of Christ. I mean, they're bringing hundreds of people to him, and he's healing. Um, And then the apostles had that, some of the apostles had that same gift in order to authenticate. Silver and gold have I none. John and Peter. but, but I give you what I have in the name of Jesus. Rise. And he does. Wow. Praising God. Authenticating. Gift of healing. Gifts of healings, not, um, not only used to authenticate Jesus in the message, but they weren't used all the time. Philippians 2.27, we already went there. Paul did not heal Epaphroditus. So affecting of miracles, here's another supernatural revelatory gift. Powers associated with casting out demons. So that Matthew passage you know, tells us the, the same thing. This is a working of divine acts contrary to nature. So that there's no way it could be of, uh, anything other than God. It was a sign gift, supernatural. Now think about this: we call get, we call you know uh, uh, supernatural miracles and you know and, and natural. Is it any more difficult for God to keep everything going the way that it's supposed to be going than it is to intervene and, and alter the course of something? Is it any harder? I mean, is there anything more miraculous about God keeping the earth turning this morning and the sun in, in the sky and you breathing and all of that and then God intervening in the middle of that and, and doing something? It takes no less you know, divine power to, to, to all things consist in Christ. He holds everything together. It takes no more divine power to do that than to intervene and walk on water or to calm a storm. He has the power to keep the storm going and bring the storms and allow the systems to happen, and he has the power to intervene. I mean, one's not greater than the other. Why do we call this one supernatural? It's abnormal. So why does God do something abnormal? It's to get people's attention. Because we, we get lulled to sleep over here thinking this is natural. This so is what's supposed to happen. The sun was supposed to come up this morning. We're supposed to look into the skies. Jared and I looked at Orion. Beautiful. Stars this morning. Gorgeous. Look at the stars. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, we see those every morning. Did you ever stop to think about the God who put that up there and keeps that up there? That's powerful. No less powerful than whenever He intervenes and calms a storm. You ever look at the power of a thunderstorm? You're sitting there and the lightning flashing and the wind blowing. God's in control of all of that. It's his power. And yet when he stops it, he doesn't use any more power to do that. But it's to get your attention. And it's to, it's to prove something or to give a sign in some way. And what did Jesus say to people in his day who sought after sons? They were a wicked and perverse generation. Well, "just seek that seek me that's what he's saying and they're saying show us a sign prove to us and so you can extrapolate that over to churches and ministries and otherwise that are always about the signs you know one of the ways that you can tell this not authentic ministry of the holy spirit is because the holy spirit's whole purpose is to point to Christ is to make a lot of Christ and in all of those churches it's all about the holy spirit the holy spirit the holy spirit the holy spirit" And that's not the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's all about Christ. He's there to prop up Jesus and to make much of him. And the other way you can clearly see that these people aren't in the Spirit is because you look at the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. And there's another word in there. Self-control. Isn't that a fruit of the Spirit? So when you are under the control of the Holy Spirit, you're not less in control of your bodily functions. You're not flopping on the floor or laughing uncontrollably or foaming at the mouth. If you were actually in the Spirit, you would have love, joy, peace, and you would be even more under control of your faculties and abilities, not less. And even the image that the New Testament gives us about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit descended on Christ... Like a flailing, you know, flame of uh, of fire, descended like a dove. Right? It's peace. It's the, if, the evidence. So you have affecting miracles, powers associated with casting out demons and those type of things. There were no less demons before Jesus came. There, there are no fewer demons today. So what's happening whenever Jesus is casting out all these demons and he's walking in the synagogue and they're going, "Son of God, what do we have to do with you?" He's forcing them to expose themselves. They can't hide anymore. This is this is their creator that they're in rebellion against, standing in their midst. And so no fewer demons in the Old Testament, no fewer demons today. They're, they're still operating today. It's just that during the time of Christ, He's proving who He is by casting them out, and they can't hold their tongues. Standing in the very presence of God. Prophetic work. We already talked about prophecy. Number seven, the distinguishing of spirits. It's part of the list. Supernatural ability to recognize lying spirits and deceptive doctrine. Um, somebody read Acts 17.11. Acts 17.11. Somebody else turn to 1 John four one. Acts 1711, 1 John 4 1. Acts 17 11. Okay? examining the scriptures to see which uh, whether they be they be so that's what we're supposed to do listen to 1 John 4:1 everybody's supposed to examine the scriptures do, do not believe every spirit but test the see whether they are from God so many false prophets have gone out into the world. so behind all false teaching is evil spirits is the spirit of satan the cosmos and one of the revelatory gifts the for the benefit of the church was was to be able to do that was to be able to test the spirits so that command is given to everybody but there were some that were in the church that had the ability to identify lying spirits and deceptive doctrine Um, you first test it according to the scriptures to see if it's true and then beyond that this was an early gift to protect uh, probably the ones that you're most familiar with was the gift of tongues and the revelatory gift of interpretation of of, of tongues or interpretation of languages. Um, the gift of tongues is the gift of languages. Just the gift of interpretation. It's not an ecstatic babble that actually... Uh, that second prayer language idea came about uh, from a failed attempt uh, to, you know, back in the 1800s, in order to say that people, part of the that were part of the movement, actually had the gifts of languages. So even the early Pentecostals believed that this was exactly what Scripture says: it's a gift of languages. So, for instance, um, to use a uh, example that forget, Paul Washer, somebody uh, gave, maybe it was Justin Peters, it was. So in here, um, you do not have the ability, you're in the early church, you do not have the ability to speak Farsi, and the Holy Spirit would supernaturally give you the ability to speak Farsi fluently. So you'd be able to do that. And the gift of interpretation would be, God would give someone over here the supernatural ability to interpret it perfectly. It has nothing to do with ecstatic babble. It had everything to do with a the glosa, meaning tongue, being able to speak in a specific uh, specific language. So what was the, uh, the purpose of the, the gift of, of tongues? Somebody turn to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. It's the gift of words. Not the gift of hearing. And the gift was uh was to the one who who spoke. First Corinthians fourteen tells us specifically what was the, the, the purpose. Tongues was languages was intended as a sign. 1 Corinthians 14 20 through 22. So I know I've given you a lot this morning, but this is, this is important. So it's written to Corinth, a very early epistle to the Corinthians, who are where sign gifts, these revelatory gifts, are still operating. So he has to correct the church. And these gifts are operating in the church because this is a very early church. And this is part of you know, the, the early missionary journeys of, of Paul. And these gifts are operating in the church, languages and prophecy. And they're misusing them. So Paul is correcting them here, and he tells us in that verse, very specifically, the purpose of languages, the purpose of tongues. And notice he says, in the law it is written. The purpose of tongues goes, goes back to a, a judgment in the in the Old Testament, in, in Isaiah 28. If you want to write the specific reference down, it's Isaiah 28, 11, and 12. It's a judgment of Israel that you will hear the gospel through other tongues, Gentile tongues, tongues other than Hebrews. And it's a sign for unbelieving Israel that God's doing something new. He's going to speak the gospel not just to Jews but in all tongues. All people have access to the gospel. Jesus is the Savior of the world, not just of the Jewish people. And it's also a sign of judgment to them that they are unbelieving and they're not receiving their Messiah. And so there is no purpose for the gift of tongues today. It is a specific language. It was for a specific purpose and for a specific time. And it is not any type of ecstatic um, you know, babble or or prayer language. The Lord would now speak to all nations in all languages, the barriers are torn down, and so the gift of languages symbolized not only the curse of God on a disobedient nation, but also the blessing of God on the whole world. Tongues was therefore a sign of transition between the old and new covenants. With the establishment of the church, a new day had dawned for the people of God. God would speak in all languages but once the period of transition was past, the sign was no longer necessary. And Paul clearly says in 1 Corinthians 14 that tongues is inferior to all the other gifts. not something to be sought. It's inferior. Um, the church meets for edification, not for self-gratification, which is that whole point about prophecy. You know, it's like you want to use revelatory gift. You want to use a sign gift that's operating right now. Listen to the prophets. They're speaking something that you can understand. You're not unbelievers. Yeah, Mark? So, uh, Brian would have asked to ask, so talk about prophesying. Mm-hmm. And it's very helpful to me to kind of And I said that's not but you know, address this, you telling versus telling. Just to clarify that. Yeah, so um, prophecy, we talked about this, I think, uh, the other day. Prophecy is not preaching. Um, but the word has the idea of, of telling something beforehand. Um, so it's it's predicting something supernaturally before it takes place. And the same requirements of, of, of being an authentic prophet in the New Testament didn't change from the Old Testament. So if you claim to be a prophet in the Old Testament, 100% of what you said had to come true. And if not, you were a false prophet. And so the idea that you know you can speak a prophecy today and it be inaccurate, you're a false prophet, and according to the Old Testament, you should be stoned. You know, we're not going to stone people. But you should reject you know those those people. So is that what you're aiming at? Yeah, you know, so what's our responsibility, or yeah. 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 So it's you know it's for edification. So what edifies us today? It's the it's the Bible. You don't add to the Scriptures or take it take away from it. You listen. The greatest thing that you could be is one of God's parrots. Okay, be make your goal to be a gospel parrot. You say nothing new. You just repeat exactly what you've heard in the Bible. It's exactly the opposite of what you hear today. Flash, bang, be new, be innovative, be this, be that, draw the big crowd. That's the opposite. That's a mushroom growing in manure. You need to be a gospel parrot. And all you're saying, even the same accent that your master has, you speak it. That's your goal. Faithfulness, nothing else. Um, if you do that, then Christ will build his church. And he'll use the speaking gifts that are still operating today, and the serving gifts, you know, in order to, um, to do that. Tongues had limited usefulness in the church. It was never intended to be a, a temporary gift. Any closing or final questions or comments? If you want, uh, you want a really good book on this. Charismatic Chaos by MacArthur. Excellent book. It was foundational. Mm-hmm. Such as Wayne groove and John Piper, what they've done is they have redefined. Yes, they have. Those kids. You're right. So a modern day prophet, according to their definition, does not have to be an heir. Right. They they can, they can speak uh, incorrect, correct things mm-hmm. that are not true. Tom. Private devotional yep. uh, conversation with God, so that there they could they wouldn't necessarily identify themselves with some of the like the beginning in yeah. that group. No, they wouldn't. You're right. And in fact, if you want to, if you want to read the story of how that transition happened from believing it was a language to saying it must be a prayer language. Uh, go uh, just a few pages further in your Grace and Granite book and read the section about about tongues because early missionaries were sent out in the 1800s believing that they had I can speak Chinese and so they go and then they think they're speaking Chinese and the Chinese are going you're not speaking Chinese at all you know and they they flamed out and so that, what do we do now well well it must be something other than you know specific language um, you can John Anderson wrote about that. yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, you know, what? where is the, like Paul Washer was saying, where does it come from? It's a lot of sincere people. It comes from really bad doctrine, and they're not looking at that timeline. You know, they're, they're meshing together stuff. So they're not understanding the genre of Scripture. So the Gospels and Acts are telling a narrative. It's telling a story. It's not prescriptive. This happened is what Acts and the Gospels are saying. It doesn't say repeat that. It says this happened. So but then in the epistles Ephesians Colossians and otherwise it says do this commands given specifically to to the church so they're confusing those kind of things and it gets all jumbled up in there um, and then like you're saying which is exactly what Paul is correcting in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 the Corinthians were were cherry picking the gifts that they wanted to pursue and Paul's going you're not exercising these in love if if you if you really you know we're about spiritual gifts remember it's sovereignly bestowed by the spirit first corinthians 12 you know you're you're dismissing the you know the the ones that are over here you know the 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 parts of the body that that aren't the eye and the ear and the others and you're exalting these and he, and he says in first corinthians 13 if i give my body to be burned I give everything but i have not love i'm nothing i'm a gong i'm a symbol you know so clanging and then he goes into First Corinthians fourteen and actually corrects the practice, which is like what Mark was talking about, what you're talking about. You have this list of gifts and and what they're seeking the ones that are you know that are uh, that are more self self-grandizing, self-grandizing. Yeah, so that's great. yep. Would say, it's exactly there's absolutely no contradiction there. I mean, he's telling that to the Corinthian church when those sign gifts were operating. And so, but the speaking in tongues would have been you know, don't forbid the speaking in languages as a sign for unbelieving Israel. Um, you wouldn't, we wouldn't apply that today you know, because of the context is there. So.
1: Yeah. yeah that's so what yep
0: while that's excellent praise the Lord first Corinthians 13 is the is the he's absolutely right specific. it specifically says tongues they will cease and the Greek word that's used there for ceasing is they'll stop completely and never be never be used again So uh, that was excellent. Thank you. All right, guys. uh, Next week, we're going to be in maxing out our service for the church. We'll be turning the page on spiritual gifts. Hopefully that was helpful. And I threw a lot at you, so um, go back and listen to it again if you need to. Father, uh, bless these brothers as they go about their day. Give us a good day trusting in you. Protect us from false doctrine. Keep us uh, humble, Lord. Uh, you have given us great blessing with the clarity of your word. May we never be lifted up thinking that that um, because you have done that, um, uh, we're just your humble servants. This is all we want to be. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.